Women's Health Melbourne is an innovative, holistic fertility and women's health practice. We are world leaders in IVF and egg freezing and provide our patients with every opportunity to achieve their goals. Our hand-picked expert team provides the ultimate care experience for our patients. Reach us at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au and follow us at Women's Health Melbourne and at Dr Rayleigh Alou. And welcome to Knocked Up, the podcast about fertility and women's health. You are joined, as always, by me, Geordie Morrison, and Dr. Rayleigh Alou, CREI Fertility Specialist. In this episode, to discuss the egg as a cell, egg freeze, and warm cycles, we welcome Dr. Lisa Lee to Knocked Up. Lisa is a clinical research embryologist at Melbourne IVF, where she is involved with several research trials and projects. She has accumulated over 10 years of experience in embryology, working across several clinics in Hong Kong and Australia, and has completed her PhD at University of Melbourne under the guidance of Professor David Gardner. Welcome, Lisa. Could you tell us a little bit about your role at Melbourne IVF? So my title is the lab manager at Melbourne IVF. It's a really exciting job. I get to um, help out with the day-to-day management of the whole laboratory. And I get to see all the lovely doctors like Raya. And how did you get into that? It's a funny story, actually. Um, When I was in uni, I did have a little bit of a concentration, like a lack of concentration problem. I often find myself dozing off in lectures. The only one that I could stay awake in was the reproductive ones. So maybe it was funny, maybe I was immature, uh, but I found it really interesting. And there was one lecturer in particular, which happens to be um, our very own scientific director right now, Professor David Gardner. He gave an amazing lecture and I was fascinated. I started um, emailing him and asking if I could hang out and see what he does. And, you know, 10 10 years later, 11 years, (laughs) I've I've lost track now, but here I am. (laughs) (laughs) And what's the best part of your job? Um, Oh, I don't know where to start. Um, I think seeing the outcomes of patients, successful ones, especially the ones who have been through a lot, that brings a lot of joy. That That's very, very fulfilling um, in a way that I never imagined. I think that's got to be the number one thing for me. And it's so important to understand that IVF is a real team effort. It's not just the doctor. Totally. We've got a whole army of support behind us and very that's talented right. people. <laughs> Well, Lisa, I think it would be nice to start off with, why is the human egg so special? Well, it is the largest cell in the human body. It's actually visible or almost visible to the human eye if you know what you're looking for. It must have been a while ago now, but I, I had no idea that um, we were the females are all born with all the eggs they will ever have. So I thought that was amazing and I guess that explains why sometimes we have infertility problems as we get older and um, we, you know, we only ovulate one egg a month. That's quite a unique um, 
model, I suppose. Is this com- compared to animals? Hmm. I need to check my facts there. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, humans are amazing in that we're. I mean, there are some other species that are similar, but most species actually are only fertile for a short while, whereas we're fertile for all year round. Mm. and we do release one egg at a time most of the time. Occasionally we have a little aberration from the program and release two eggs, which are neck and neck, and that's how fraternal twins happen in nature. But usually we release one egg at a time. And, you know, we are really invested in our offspring. We have one baby at a time most of the time, and um, our survival strategy is to nurture that baby to adulthood. And hopefully most of our, our babies do do yet there. So it's a very different reproductive strategy from many other animals, even mammals, who have a litter and have kind of quantity as part of their strategy. That's right. Actually, Lisa, I find it amazing that one of the ways that IVF was developed was really our observation of the differences and similarities of humans to other species because what we actually do with medications is we provoke a response that's more similar to the response of a dog or a cat or a rabbit, a species that has a litter or a mouse, um, a species that has a litter. And and we change the way that the hormone signals from the brain um, do communicate with the ovary to kind of override those kind of evolutionary processes that have led us to select one egg a month. That's right. Yeah, it is. It is fascinating in that way. Very smart. <laughs> so, Lisa, can you talk to us a little bit about how you find an egg at an egg collection? So, at the time of egg collection, the doctors will retrieve um, follicular fluid from the patient. Um, it comes to us almost immediately after retrieval. We're working right next to the doctors. Um, and it comes in these um, tubes. So what we do is we gently pour the fluid into a large Petri dish and we swirl it around. And what we're looking for under the microscope is um, it's a shimmering, it's what we call a cumulus oversight complex. And it also stands for cloud, I believe. Um, so it looks like a little shimmering cloud under the microscope. And that's what we want to find because inside that cloud, there's going to be one single egg. Um, So we do that as quickly as we can because we want to get it out of the blood and um, all the other things that we don't want it to be submerged in. And we give it a really nice clean wash and put it into clean media until it's ready for its next step. And Lisa, a lot of what we do kind of in the lead up to passing over the fluid is some strict identification processes to make sure that we've got the right egg for the right patients. So important. (laughs) Can you talk a little bit about what that involves from your perspective? Um, Yes. Uh, So actually the preparation starts the day before. Um, So we've got these RFID um, tags, um, electronic little labels, um, which are uh, stuck to the paperwork. And then the paperwork is taken in at the time of um, a collection where we will meet with both the doctors and the patient 
and clearly identify at least three points of ID. And usually that's your name, your date of birth and your address. Um, so that way it's very clearly recorded. It's tracked by the electronic label. At no point is there any fear that there's a mix up um, of anything. Um, this paperwork then goes on to become um, the electronic link. So it creates all these links between all the dishes that all have an RFID tag. And that way um, it creates a really consistent and continuous chain of identification. That's great. So it's really important to us that there could not, we, we need to make sure there are systems in place as well as human checks to make sure that it's always going to be the right egg, the right sperm, the right embryo for the right person. That's right. So Lisa, you're in the theatre with Raylia and the other doctors when they're doing an egg collection. Mm-hmm. And is there usually one scientist in the room? Who else is in the room? It's usually just one scientist. So in terms of the eggs that are collected, what happens to them after we collect them in the operating theatre? Um, so once they are collected and um, safely cleaned and stored in dishes, it then gets sent to the laboratory straight away, which is just right above the operating theater. And then we uh, wait for the optimal timing to then proceed with the next steps of the patient's treatment. So this can be um, ICSI, which is injection of the sperm into the egg, or IVF, where the egg is going to be mixed with sperm. So then depending on where you go, it's a, it's a different process. And how are eggs prepared for egg freezing? For egg freezing? So remember that cloud that I spoke about earlier? We don't want that cloud during the egg freezing process. So a really critical part of the egg freezing process is that we have to put the egg through a series of solutions and the key purpose of that is to draw the water out of the egg. Because if you, if you try and imagine, if you put a glass of water into a freezer, it's going to form ice. So it's these ice crystals that will then damage your eggs. So you want to make sure you try and draw out as much water as you can. And if you have that cloud around the cells, it's going to hinder the solutions interacting with the egg. So the first thing we do in the laboratory um, is that we um, gently put the egg into a chemical solution. It's um, safe and it's only in there for a maximum of 10 to 15 seconds. Um, and that helps to break down the cloud around the egg. Um, once we do that, we can then um, gently pipette the egg up and down um, and that will take away all the rest of the cumulus cells that's surrounding the egg. And then as we start the freezing process, we put them through a stepwise solution and we watch the egg collapse and expand uh, based on um, the water being drawn out and the uh, protectant solutions being pumped into the egg. And while most eggs do really well with this process of freezing and warming, some eggs don't. How can you tell an egg has survived when we warm the egg? And how do we, how do we warm it after we've frozen the egg if we want to use it? So it's essentially the reverse, where we again put it through a series of solutions. And this time is to slowly draw the protectant solution out and to, um, I guess, pump the egg 
back up with the water that it needs. We are looking for usually um, uh, just how the cell looks or how the egg looks like immediately after warming. We should see a healthy looking egg that looks exactly the same as it was before it's uh, frozen. And what does an egg that hasn't survived look like? Um, it would have lost this cell membrane integrity. Um, so unfortunately, it will look like it's almost um, dissolved away. And we know um, it's very clear that it has not survived. There could be a few different numbers of reasons as to why. Uh, usually the egg is, well, always, the egg is surrounded by um, a layer of cells. It's called the zona pellucida. We call it the shell, essentially, the shell around the egg. Um, so sometimes this shell uh, can be can harden during the freezing process. And if it is hardened, it will then prevent the solutions entering and exiting the egg in the correct way. Um, so that's one of the reasons how an egg may or may not survive, depending on the material or the consistency of that shell. And how does it work with ICSI and IVF. So when the eggs arrive up at the lab fresh, standard IVF insemination, as you mentioned, is when we bathe the eggs in sperm. Um, how do you expose the sperm to the eggs in that situation? We, well, previously we have to do a bit of work with the sperm. We make sure we um, uh, clean the sample really well. So we process the sperm through a series of different ways. Um, one of them is to get rid of all the dead sperm cells, all these side accessory cells that we do not need. And we actually um, put it through a series of solutions to actually sort out the highest motility sperm. So the best looking ones, the fastest swimmers, and then we will actually do a very specific calculation and dilute the sperm to get to the concentration that we want that we know is optimal for the fertilization of each egg. And then we will pipette the sperm into the dish with the egg and let it do its magic. And how is ICSI different? So ICSI is, is quite different. Um, so ICSI is similar to egg freezing, where we have to um, strip the cloud away from the egg. And following that, we then have to assess the egg for its maturity. And we can only work with mature eggs at this stage. And with ICSI, we do the similar cleaning process, except we dilute it down to a point where we can see individual sperm cells um, and then we use very, very fine special pipettes with a very um, intricate microscope that's got little controllers attached to them. It's kind of like playing a video game, except it's a very cool one. And we will aspirate one sperm cell and gently inject that directly into the egg itself. So this is all tiny, tiny microscopic things. Is this done under a microscope? Yes, absolutely. Everything in the IVF laboratory is done under a microscope. Super, super tiny microscopic things. And how many eggs do you need to make a baby? Ooh, I think that's a very difficult question to answer. Surely it must depend on your medical history, Raylia? What do you think? Well, you know, what I say to patients is that every baby comes from one egg, but not every egg can make a baby. And 
You're right. It really depends on, in an IVF context, the reasons that you've come to IVF in the first place. Sometimes women come to use IVF because they've got frozen eggs from when they were younger and their fertility at the time they froze eggs was actually very good. And their prognosis, you know, translating eggs to embryos might be above average. And there might be other people who have very poor egg quality. For example, one reason that's common is advanced maternal age. And they might have a below average fertilization rate, even with excellent sperm. So it comes down to the quality of the egg, the circumstances of infertility, obviously the quality of the sperm. If you're using terrific sperm with the same eggs compared to, you know, kind of very affected concerning sperm, you're going to have a higher embryo yield with the good sperm than the bad sperm. So it's very multifactorial. And then there also is the element of chance because even with an excellent egg and excellent sperm and excellent quality embryo that we transfer back in IVF to make a baby, I always explain that what we're transferring back is a tiny ball of cells at a very early stage of life. And even between the time of an embryo transfer and a pregnancy test, there are so many complicated steps contingent on going completely right for an embryo to succeed and move forward to the next level and ultimately make a healthy baby. On average, uh, when we look quite averages, I would say that approximately 10 eggs would translate to two to three embryos. But, you know, there's a lot of grains of salt there because most of us are not necessarily plum average. So Lisa, can you see any new developments that are exciting in the experimental or early development concepts that could potentially help us in terms of egg quality in the lab? So yes, Raylia, um, there's a lot going on um, in the research world. So while we can't change um, how the egg is when it comes to us in the laboratory, um, we can continuously try and improve the environment that we provide for it. So in the last uh, few years, um, we've made changes such as the um, embryoscope which uh, has a camera inside the incubator that allows us to monitor its development every minute of it, of the day. We've also um, can change, uh, provide things like um, antioxidants in the media to give maximum protection to the egg and the sperm. And we've also got artificial intelligence that can help us really try and understand all the how all these changes can help us pick the best embryo at the end of a cycle. Um, and there's much more to come. Like there's so much happening in the research world and we're all developing at such a fast pace. I'm sure um, it will continuously improve with the years to come. In your time as a scientist, what is the biggest change you've seen in how ART happens? Um, for me, um, in the last 10 years, I think the biggest was the introduction of technology. So IVF, I suppose, is still a relatively new field of science. So it's only been about 40-something years since the birth of the first IVF baby. And in the last 10 years, um, and I remember this vividly um, in my first job um, many years ago, 
at that time, we were doing cleavage stage embryos um, and we would transfer up to three embryos um, back because the successful the success rate was so low. Um, so we would try and transfer more in the hopes that the patient gets pregnant. And over this time, I have seen changes in technology. So simple things like um, machines that can now analyze the uterine fluids better to determine what is inside that's together with the egg. And then therefore we can change um, the media that we provide to the egg and grow it better, as well as the embryoscope, I believe. Um, I did my PhD um, on that. So it was fascinating watching it grow. And there were so many things that happens behind the scenes um, throughout that five day culture period. And then in the last three to four years, I believe, AI has played a huge part in analyzing all these images um, taken by the embryoscope. So yeah, technology, I believe, is the biggest change so far. And it's really exciting for the future. Super exciting. Thank you so much, Dr. Lisa Lee, for coming on Knocked Up Podcast. We're very excited to have you and you've shared amazing insights with our listeners today. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. To support Knocked Up, leave us a review or recommend to a friend. Join us on Instagram at Knocked Up Podcast and join Raylia at Dr. Raylia Lou. And email us your questions to podcast at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au. 